going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. I've had the opportunity to interview uh, some really cool people since I started my podcast, but this particular interview is probably one of my favorite, even though I say that before every episode, that I've ever conducted. I got to interview the one and only Citizen Hush, and we discussed everything ranging from Bitcoin, 3D printed guns, liberty in general. He is the god of goon Twitter, and as I say that, he's sitting there going, nah, nah, no I'm not. Um, he's one of the most humble and and kind individuals that I've ever had the opportunity to meet. So I know that he is a man who needs no introduction, certainly not among his own friends, but I cannot wait to share this with you because I think you guys will really enjoy this. How does it, first of all, how does it feel to be the god of goon Twitter? Like everybody fucking loves you. I don't know about all that. Um, I'm serious. Like all of them, they all look up to you so much. It's really fun to watch how that's transitioned over time. Nah, they're 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 way I, they're way more <laughs> like Demp. Uh, what was it? Demp, Terry, Clay. They, 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 and Braxton also, even Pickle, as much shit as he gets. Poor like, Pickle, man. You guys dragged him in your last episode. And I'm I'm going to be honest with you. So I've been super fucking scared about this interview since I asked you to do it because I was like, oh my God. And it was not about you because you seem so chill and laid back and fun. It was about all of your followers. Like, I'm scared to death that they're going to all fucking drag me through the mud after I'm finished with you. So I'm like, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to do this. No, not at all. They're, they're all nice people. They're all, I, they're, they're a couple weirdos, a couple weirdos, but love, yeah. love, love large numbers. You're bound to get a couple of them. Um, and they mean well, like even they the weird do. ones. They do. And I feel like if it's quiet and nobody says anything, then maybe they just, they don't like it. If if they start dragging me, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Just, if, if anyone says drag you, just tag me in. I'll be like, friendly fire, friendly fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have an entire, I've been doing research on you. I've watched every single YouTube video that you have. And I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. I'm so um, sorry. I am um, so well, sorry. <laughs> and I have to tell you, like I have mad respect for you. So I started my podcast a year ago and you're my first video. So congratulations. Not, not ever. I used to run a mom blog, but then I quit that because. Oh, that's cool. Me too. Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> you will, you will one day. I have no doubt. Um, but the, I stopped that when COVID started because the girl that I ran it with, we couldn't get together and do anything. She works in hospice. So she was always around. She had to stay away from everybody. So, so I quit that, but this is the first time I've done it for Shouse in the House, but watching your very first YouTube videos and seeing the transition that you've made into what you're doing now, don't laugh. It's great. It's, it's very impressive. And it's so funny. You can hear like in the beginning, you start using like the the music and the sound that's like stock, like, uh, like that you can just like throw in there for free. And then like yeah. progressively you've put more effort into it and more stuff. So it's pretty impressive. Nah, it's uh, it's, it, you it, know, I, I think I had for maybe two years before I actually started a YouTube channel. Um, 
uh, I, I had a bunch of folks like asking me to start one. And I was like, nah, that that's gay. Uh, <laughs> and like, I think in my first like 10 videos, you can see like a lot of resistance to the idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like, <laughs> it's like 10 seconds long. You say nothing. You're like, okay, I'm going to show you this gun. Bye. And then <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Like setting up a camera to talk to myself. And like the, the hard thing for me was like, um, translating the fact that I try not to take myself super seriously on Twitter. And then here I am putting a camera in front of myself right. to be like, Oh, listen to me. Listen Give me to your all attention. The things I have to say. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I do the same thing. Like I, I'm, I would say like a half-assed shit poster, like that's pretty much all my Twitter is. And then I'm trying to conduct these interviews with like world leaders, like, and, and then they go look at my Twitter, like, Oh, fuck that. I'm not going on there with her. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, I want to ask you, so what, what did actually make you get into this? Because I, I feel like, because guns are a hobby for you, right? Like, so what pushed you like more, you're, you've become very passionate about it, especially and more vocal about your support for the Second Amendment. You've almost become an absolutionist as far as that's concerned. So uh, from, I, I would I would say I've always been an ab, uh, well, absolutely. Okay, vocally, <laughs> you've been more vocal yeah. about it. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that transition. Like, how did you decide, like, you know what, I'm going to have to come out and just be who I am. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and so the the guns and Bitcoin conference I just spoke at last weekend. This yep, I was going to ask is, you about that. This is kind of part of my talk there about like how I ended up on stage in front of all of y'all. <laughs> yes, please give it to me. Yeah, so like uh, I tried to find video for it, but I couldn't. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I I hired a camera crew to film all of the speaker talks. So that'll be available sometime in the next few weeks or months potentially. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so for me, like libertarianism or liberty, and I use libertarianism like broadly here. I don't mean the libertarian party because I don't pay attention to them. Right. I, I don't even vote, so like it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me. Well, it doesn't matter uh, if you vote yeah. either. So. <laughs> yeah, and um, so liberty, I guess, is a better word. Liberty has always been a big thing for me. Um, Members around the financial crisis. That's kind of when I really went deep into libertarianism from like a philosophical standpoint, and by proxy from libertarianism, it was always like the economic freedom side that right, got me sure. interested in it. Um, economic freedom led me to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, things of that nature, uh, and then it was I was kind of late to the dance when it comes to uh, firearms. Um, so I think it was. 2015, 2014, I think I shot my first non rimfire fire, <laughs> um, a firearm and it, it, it just went downhill from there. <laughs> um, and, and for me, like, uh, come, I'm, I'm a recovering engineer. So like the mechanical side of firearms, I, I was more interested in building things with my hands in the real world versus writing abstract code that lives in the cloud somewhere. Right. And, uh, so that it, it's it, I got into it like philosophically and also mechanically, um, and like I've never really been interested in the gun rights debate just because like I don't like arguing with people on the internet really, right? Uh, and they're they're people who are well more researched and articulate than I am who could voice like the the debate side of things. Sure, yeah. For me, uh, I wanted to focus on doing things that made gun control irrelevant. Um, and that translated into building out parallel systems, parallel institutions that make efforts uh, uh, to 
strip away the Second Amendment impossible. So that leads you to 3D printed guns, cryptocurrency. And like the, the, the thing that I talked about at the conference a little bit is these parallel institutions, it's a way to wage effectively asymmetrical warfare from within the constructs of an existing system without having to get violent. Uh, violence, violence will always be a, uh, an option, but it enables you to build parallel institutions that you can just cut over to uh, when the time is right. Um, and that's that's kind of where uh, that's kind of like the trajectory. Like all these things I work on, they all make sense in my head. Like I talk to my friends in real life about it, and they're just like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> like you just seem to just be grabbing things and be like, "Oh, let's see if this what happens with this. Let, let's see what happens with that." Right. Like, it all it all makes sense to me in my head, um, but and some 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 projects don't pan out, <laughs> but uh, it, it's always fun. It always makes up for a good story. Since you've touched on so much of it, let's talk about your perception of where like crypto and the gun world are going. Because to me, in my head, I start seeing you have banks starting to literally wage war against citizens. You have banks that are literally cutting people. You can have $100,000 in the bank and they'll say, hey, we don't like your politics, so we're not going to do business with you anymore. And it's like, what? Like, how is that even legal? But okay, And so then we'll go to another bank and then eventually like you're shut out. So I think of like Alex Jones and even Donald Trump, like the president of the United States, when he was leaving office, you had banks publicly coming out to be like, "Eh, we're not going to do business with you anymore. So do you see politicians starting to look at and as a way to like go after the gun industry without actually attacking the second amendment, see them going through the banking industry? Okay. Banks will no longer allow you to purchase firearms with the fiat dollars. So we're going to end up having to start buying weapons with cryptocurrency. Do you see that being a trend or something that may happen? Um, I think I think it's already started uh, to a degree. Uh, Defense Distributed, uh, the guys over with, um, uh, what was it, like Ivan, Control Pew, then um, the, the, that whole crew, they, they've been blacklisted from mainstream payment processing, so they have to take uh, crypto. But I, I, I think... I think this blacklist, financial blacklisting, um, that's it, it always, it, this type of stuff always starts with folks who are seemingly on the fringe or have right. interests of in, that are, in things that are more on the fringe. So it becomes more palatable and it's kind of like that frog in the boiling pot of water when, okay, now we're going to start saying, if you don't if you don't support this vaccination or right. if you, or if you don't use the right words when you communicate then we're going to start taking your uh your financial freedom and and that, that that's also this is also something i touched on in my talk where um the second amendment is, like from from a, a philo- philosophical standpoint the second amendment is taking your uh taking taking your own um, protection and safety into your own hands and not passing it over to some amorphous government agency um, to take care of you. And it's also uh, a deterrence against tyranny as well. That level of res- freedom and responsibility, and we, t- we pay, a lot of people pay lip service to freedom, but they don't talk too much about the responsibility that also comes with freedom. Um, the, the counterpart to that on the financial side is cryptocurrency, where you are no longer beholden to an institution that can cut you off from the faucet of the global economy. 
um, you no longer have these centralized access points because you can now transact with whoever you want. So cryptocurrency is just basically the same idea just applied to financial freedom. And then, um, then when you start getting the 3D printed guns, like that, that's it's the Napster moment for the uh, firearms industry. It's the Napster moment for gun control. Like I'm not interested in the firearms uh, gun control debate anymore because it's over. Right. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, we we. But when you, when we have the two A anti two A conversation, the reason why we've why the Second Amendment's on the ropes right now is because we assumed it was a debate in the first place. Right, it never yeah. was a debate. We 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 brought data to a fist fight, hoping people would have a rational conversation with us. <laughs> yeah, it was it was never it was never a debate or any level of respect for you know rights. Like it it's just I don't know. That we could get into a whole very long conversation about that, and maybe we can privately at some point in time. That's a great thing about audio, like my crazy hands that I use all the time and stuff. Nobody sees that, and then yeah. they don't see the awkward pauses or anything. It's just like flows. Everybody's like, "Oh, this sounds great!" I'm like, oh, oh god, that, that that was one of the realizations I came to when I started like recording myself for YouTube and library, like. A, my hands, I noticed I wave them around like I have right. autism. Well, I mean, I do have autism, but <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I became much more aware of are my verbal tics. So how many times I say, um, um, and then like yes. things, <laughs> things And if like, mine is right, I'll be like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's painful going through the editing process. But like, oh man, do I, am I, I really like that? <laughs> listen, my, I hate my voice so much whenever I listen to it back and I'm I'm like, this is awful. Okay, so now I'm going to show you how bad of a stalker I am. You talked about, so one of the things that you talked about in one of your videos that I really appreciated, you talked about financial stability after Hurricane Isabel um, and how that affected your family. And Uh, that was more like readiness or uh, what was it? Emergency preparedness and readiness. But one of the things that you talked about that really... I, it just really hit home for me because it was a speech that my dad gave me a lot um, when you were talking about assets versus liability mm-hmm. and how your dad said, always choose to be an asset. And I think that that is a really profound comment as far as preparedness is concerned, because right now I feel like we have a lot of people talking about being there and 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 walking the walk and things like that. But I feel like we have a lot of liabilities too. So expand on that a little bit for me about how, like perceptually, how do you become an asset in this situation or in our situation moving forward? Yeah, uh, I I think, uh, let me, I guess, take a step back and think about how we got here. We have so many liabilities because we've allowed this idea of daddy government's going to take care of you to percolate and become accepted as an approach um, where hey don't 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 worry about uh financial literacy the government will take care of you uh d- don't worry about um d- don't worry about your safety the the, the government's got you right. um, and that that's preposterous uh to me at least and i and i think that's to be honest with you um it, it, that's probably how we ended up <laughs> in the situation we're in we've deferred responsibility and only like we we've conflated this idea of freedom and we've made it equivalent to free shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. And 
like free, freedom doesn't mean like you get to do whatever the hell you want. Freedom means like you, 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 you get, you have the freedom to do what you want, but there are consequences to the things you choose to do. Um, and, and I think that's the framework a lot of us ha- uh, start at. And I, I'm, I mean, none of these ideas are my own. Like I'm, this, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just parroting things, but like, um, and that, no, but that, it's, it's important to understand where you're coming from, like from a process perspective, mm-hmm. because I think that when people, it's always combative. Like when you try to come to somebody and say, oh, stop, stop sucking the government's dick. Like, come on, like seriously, you need, I'm never going to get monetized by the way. So I like, I already have that <laughs> expectation, but like, we need to be able to have a conversation about this and explain logically where we're coming from and how we feel about things. And I think that's a, I, it, either parroted or not, it's still important that you're able to convey it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, it, I think it starts with the individual, like the individual is the smallest unit of minority. I, for whatever it's worth, I am also a minority in the, in the headline sets or yeah, the, the diversity a, set. <laughs> that's in here too, by the way. So we're going to okay. get to that too, but yeah. And, and the, the small, the smallest unit of minority is the individual. And it, it's interesting too, because from like, uh, free market capitalism and like i i'm i'm fo- folks would probably call me an extremist in this sense because i i don't believe in government like i think right. gov- governments are barbaric antiquated institution that we should get it rid of um i i don't i don't know how it'll work in uh, if we privatize everything and i think it's also a fallacy to assume i should have the answer to how right, everything sure. should work um but i'm willing to trust individuals uh to figure it out uh, and create something that works for them locally, uh, whatever that means, whether you define local as your county, your immediate neighborhood, your state, whatever. Um, and that that's uh, that's the starting point where you you get your own house in order. I think it's what is his name? Jordan Peterson who's like, before yeah. you start throwing rocks around, make clean your room. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that that that's how I feel. Like, and that's I think the first step to becoming an asset: uh, cleaning your own damn room, making sure your own house is in order for yourself and your family and the people in your immediate vicinity. Then you can start having the conversations with other people. Um, there's nothing I hate more than people who start giving unsolicited advice, and I'm like, no, no you don't even follow that advice. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that I think it probably starts with like health. Um, and that's something we could all probably do better with uh, being more active, eating right. And then I think it extends naturally to uh, financial stability, um, getting getting that house in order. And then also, uh, I think that's kind of like the trinity, uh, health and wellness, uh, financial stability, and then also being able to protect yourself and the people um, close to you. Right. There's so much. I like, I've literally like, look at all these notes that I made from watching all of your videos. I just want, I'm trying to think of where to transition to 3d printing. So like, how did you, how'd you get into that? Like what made, I I know from your engineering background, like probably is what triggered you to really want to do it and be like, Hey, instead of buying this, why don't I just make my own? Um, so talk to me about a little bit about how you got into it. And then like, if I wanted to start 3D printing my own guns, like where, give me like maybe a top three first steps to take. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let me, let me caveat first by like, I, I am still very much a beginner in this world. Like I got, I got my printer in December, I believe, uh, 2020. Um, I just went complete like 
stupid with it. And I think I've done like six or 10. I can't count anymore uh, <laughs> since then. But uh, so like pri- prior to getting involved with 3D printing firearms, um, like the idea for me was buy guns, create new shooters, take people shooting as often as you can, get them exposed to this uh, and create more people who are involved in this world. And that, that was my idea of making um, confiscation and gun control unpalatable and logistically impossible by just creating more guns more and gun owners, more gun yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then I was, and then I discovered uh, 3d printing. Like it's been on my radar, but I didn't really get involved with it until 2020. And I was like, well, shit, we can just print these in like a day and a half, two days. And we have parts kits and we could just build them. Um, and that, that was actually my entry point. Um, uh, from like, like what I was talking about earlier, building parallel systems and parallel institutions. Uh, and so I recognize 3D printed guns as a powerful tool in that tool. And that doesn't negate all the other approaches. It's just another tool, really. Right. Um, and like, it's it's also from a technology standpoint. And like, uh, the, the gun itself, the 3D printed gun itself is the least interesting thing to me. Uh, what's interesting to me is what that represents. Access to information, um, self-ownership, self-determination. Uh, those are the things that are interesting to me. Same with like cryptocurrency. Everyone talks about the price of Bitcoin, price of Ethereum. That's the least interesting thing to me. Um, like right. I've been in this world long enough where I've gone up through the peaks and troughs, like the price I'm desensitized to the price. What matters to me now is what that price represents. Um, and really all I'm trying to do is build more free people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I do. well, and that's why I really wanted to talk to you about it. And I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you before oh, I let no, you no, finish, no. but I cryptocurrency for me, like I, I, I told my mom that I was going to have you on, which she has no clue who you are. And I'm sorry that you're not that famous yet. But (laughs) so I said to her, I'm like, oh, I'm having this guy on. We're going to talk about 3D printed guns. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency, you know, like Bitcoin and stuff. And like after I vomited out everything that you and I are going to discuss at the end of the conversation, she goes, that sounds interesting. And I was like, do you know what cryptocurrency is, mom? And she said, no, I have no idea. So I like conceptually, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, from age probably 40 down to say cryptocurrency. So (laughs) (laughs) you're dumb if you don't understand what cryptocurrency is from that age down. But from 40 up, I, I imagine many of that demographic has no clue. So I, I think that it's important because I do have a lot of old people that listen to me because my mom pushes my crap out to everybody. Yeah, mom. So I, I know, right? Like, <laughs> okay. Anyway, go ahead. No, that's awesome. No, and I, I, I uh, blockchain. Um, blockchain is large. When we talk about the technology, that's what we're talking about. Blockchain. That's the underlying technology uh, behind the thousands of cryptocurrencies you see. And uh, to be honest with you, it's it's not a smart technology or smart network uh it's a dumb network <laughs> uh and in like the, the I, I don't i think a lot of the intimidation comes not from the technology being so uh opaque and complex it comes from the need for this why do we need this technology and that comes in economic literacy 
So understanding what central banks do, understanding what monetary, what impact monetary policies have, where the repercussions that are out of all of these central planners control, like central planners are the central planners and central bankers are the single most dangerous institutions in this world, not because they have like some tinfoil hat nefarious intention, but because they're a group of bureaucrats who think they're smarter than everybody else has have control over things that impact every person alive's well-being, financial well-being, and they have zero accountability. Uh, central bankers uh, are the only folk, that's the only job where you can, I forget who said this, but it, it's the only job where you can crash the plane on Friday and still have a job on Monday. Um, like I don't know, weather <laughs> reporters are pretty bad. They'd be right in there with those guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But they, they're not crashing the plane though. No, the, that's st- true. the stakes are different. The stakes are different. Like the interest, they, the, this notion that uh, some Harvard educated economics degree holder. Um, and I, I have a master's degree in economics and like my, my favorite economist, uh, one of his speeches on the Nobel, accepting the Nobel prize in economics was why there should not be a Nobel prize in economics. Right, <laughs> it yeah. gives way too much authority to a field that is not as precise, um, uh, as people think it is. Uh, it, I, I th- one of the quotes I cited at my talk was, the curious task of economics is to demonstrate how little men truly know about things they imagine they can design. Um, when you think about economics, and it has more in common with philosophy than it does with physics, that right. makes sense. But when you start thinking economics is equivalent to physics, that's where you start running into problems because right. you're dealing, you're trying to take, uh, you're, you're taking models that were built for complicated systems. Uh, complicated systems being like you have a problematic part, you die, you run through a string of diagnoses, you pull out the problematic part, replace it, and the complicated system hums along and works. Complex systems are when you try, you think you have a diagnosis for the problematic part. You pull it out, and then all of a sudden, um, uh, a Ford F one fifty drives through the front door of your house and kills everyone in the living room. <laughs> like right. things, things that have nonlinear relationships have very different uh, in, inputs and outputs. Uh, so, uh, when you look at an economy, an economy is not a static, uh, a static model in a vacuum. It's a complex, interdependent, interlocking ecosystem of billions of upon billions of people. And this idea that a handful of central bankers know what the most important metric in the economy is the interest rate should be. That's, that's just, that's just laughable that uh, it's human, it's human hubris at at its um, peak. And you wonder why more people don't push against that. Like more people don't stand up and speak out against that. They just kind of roll in and comply. It's just, we talk about the frog in the boiling water a lot with so many different things. And it's like so many people have become so conditioned over time that they don't ever even pay attention anymore. Mm -hmm. Like somebody said the other day, which probably shouldn't put this on there either, but somebody was talking about paying taxes. Like I'm not paying mine this year. Like I'm not, I'm not paying the IRS a dime this year because I have no representation in government, so why should I give you any of my money? I have no control over where you're spending it. You, you're you spending it on all sorts of things that I don't agree with, so why should I give you any of my money? Bye. Mm-hmm. Like, What yeah. are you going to do, put me in jail and then spend more money feeding me and, and clothing me in a, in a jail? Okay. Yeah. 
just I'm so done with the whole system. I'm so done with all of it. It's it's just it's a more, bit extreme. It's just more of that uh, Flintstones popsicle flavored government dick. <laughs> it's, yes. Uh, yeah, and like, uh, in that that was a long tangent that I did on like trying to answer why cryptocurrency is so difficult for people to grasp. It's I, I don't think it's a question of the technology because the technology is not very sophisticated. Uh, it's impressive in application and deployment and scale, but how it works is actually like you you could sit down and watch a YouTube video. Oh, okay, this makes sense. Uh, but like right. the, where it where it, you tend to lose people is why it matters economically because we don't have a lot of economic literacy in the world um like we we've kind of outsourced uh we 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 have outsourced the most important metric in the global economy interest rates to the government and so we're like oh some ex- some abstract expert will figure this out we'll be okay we'll be okay um and i i it's it, 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 and when the Federal Reserve, when the second Federal Reserve was enacted in 1913, like there was an uproar because people people had um, had a stake in uh, their own financial freedom and financial security, and they didn't want to outsource that to a government agency. Um, that's part of why the first central bank was dissolved in the United States because right. central banks are uh, like uh, our, the founding fathers were kind of split over in favor of a central bank versus against the central bank. And like the other thing that's interesting too is like, well, why do you need so many cryptocurrencies? Well, if you go back pre nineteen thirteen. Competing currencies were actually the norm in not just this country, but in other countries too. And it, it creates deflationary plate, uh, pressure on uh, a currency when you have competing currencies. There are, it's, it's not perfect by any stretch. Like you have, it, when, you, when you have a deflationary currency instead of an inflationary one, you have a different set of risks. But the, the incentives are different. Um, de- a deflationary environment rewards just uh prudence and saving whereas in an inflationary currency rewards uh irresponsible risk taking and it moves it kind of uh, you have different types of trade-offs and um competing that that's part of how i got into cryptocurrency because from an economic standpoint i I, i'm not a supporter of the gold standard i'm not a supporter of the silver standard or any of those standards i just want competing currencies and let the market decide uh which one will be prevailing and uh cryptocurrency uh after the bitcoin white paper was released like this is probably the most interesting social science experiment we've been able to see in real time since the ussr uh and we we know how that one worked out but uh cryptocurrency right. <laughs> like we we have we have much more much less at risk and every day that the network is up whether you're talking about the bitcoin network or you're talking about ethereum you have some of the smartest people in the world like uh crypto uh, the cryptocurrency market is two trillion dollars there's a $2 trillion incentive for uh, the smartest people in the world to get together, hack the system, and steal $2 trillion worth of wealth from these various uh, aggregated networks. They still haven't done it. Um, they've, they've hacked exchanges, but they, they haven't found a way to drain all the value stored in these networks. Uh, and every day the networks keep chugging along. It, it, they become more resilient to future uh, attacks. They become stronger and uh, more robust. Uh, it's 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 a perfect uh, it's a perfect system because it's organic from the uh, bottom up versus designed by a central planner and implemented. 
Do you think that at some point, I mean, they're already trying, but do you think at some point the IRS, the government is going to try to get in and regulate or try to have some sort of hand in cryptocurrency? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, 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 yeah, you said it. They're they're already trying. Um, and like everyone, talk, whenever people talk about, oh, well, the government's just going to shut it down. First of all, like when you say that, that also reveals how little that person knows about. Right. In, or, in order to shut it down, you have to shut the internet down. Um, right. And so by proxy, the government is trying to uh, regulate fiat on ramps through a process called KYC or know your customer. So fiat on ramps are exchanges like Coinbase. In the US, we have Coinbase, Gemini, um, I think Kraken. Yeah, Kraken is also a US-based exchange. Uh, And they're all KYC to be compliant with IRS regulations so that when you go on, move fiat currency to these on-ramps, purchase Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency, there is something that ties your identity to your unique wallet ID. And that's an entire debate in the cryptocurrency um, uh, community. Do we have a method of doing that without that? Do we have... So where can we do that? Tell me, please, guru of the cryptocurrency, where can I go hide my money from anybody? Uh, yeah. So what you're looking for is non-KYC uh, uh, solutions to obtaining cryptocurrency. There are several, actually. Uh, the easiest one is probably just using a non-KYC exchange. Um, so uh, there, there are more than I can count at this time, but a common a common one that folks use is Binance. Uh, they just... So Binance.us, uh, to be compliant with U.S. regulatory laws, they Binance.us has a KYC component. Well, what a lot of people do is they just use VPN and VPN to the actual Binance website through like a Venezuelan server or an Eastern European server. And then it's non-KYC and they could just on-ramp and buy it there. <clears throat> That's a common one. I'm not a big fan of Binance just because they have ties to the Communist Party of China, and they also do a bunch of sketchy shit uh, in the cryptocurrency market. Uh, another alternative is mining, mining cryptocurrency. Um, you can do that. So on your there's own. a couple guys that I've been talking to. They're in the process right now of mining Ethereum. They've got some old computers where they've just set them up and Daisy they just Chain. run nonstop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That, that that's an option too. Well, the, the Ethereum network is upgrading later this year to Ethereum 2.0, where you no longer need expensive, dedicated hardware to mine the, and secure the network. The coins themselves uh, will secure the network. So if you have 32 Ethereum or 32 Ether, that's enough to mine the network, and you effectively get a dividend payment just by holding the coins. Um, you can you you can any any cryptocurrency out there. There are two primary paradigms of mining. You have proof of work, which is what Bitcoin uses, and then and Ethereum uses it too. But they're migrating to proof of stake. Proof of stake means like you're proving that you have a stake in the network by owning coins, and you in turn um, lend that to the network to uh, validate the network. You get paid out in exchange. Whereas proof of work is you're proving to the network that you're demonstrating that you're allocating computational resources to the network through dedicated hardware. So those are the two common- How does it feel to be the smartest person in the room all the time when you're talking? Like, is that fun for you or- No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) I am- uh... I I I am always learning. I am always learning, and there's like even in this world, like especially in the cryptocurrency and the three D printed gun world, like I am always the dumbest person in the room. Um, well, I don't. Hi, I'm Heather. Nice to meet you. I'm the dumb one in the room. Like I, I could feel myself starting to like get overwhelmed, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know what he's talking about now. <laughs> so, <yes. laughs> 
and like, and the thing is, is it's like I have this conversation with my parents. Well, oh, we don't understand it, and I'm like, well, like, do you do you trust do the U.S. Try? dollar? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you try? How much time have you put into trying? It's it's really not that hard. Like, you just watch a couple YouTube videos, and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And like, uh, with with the actions of the Federal Reserve in the last year, like uh, the idea that the You'd U.S. Be dollar stupid to not start. Like, literally. <laughs> Um, I, I, there's a friend, he's actually a mutual friend of ours, but he told me a while back, he was like, so how much do you have in crypto? And I'm like, uh, and so like I sat there and thought about it. And so now every paycheck gets $20 into both Ethereum and Bitcoin every single time so that I, and I don't look at it. I don't pay attention to the ups and downs. I don't, I don't give a shit. I know like down the road, that's where things are going. So I'm just going to have my own stuff where I need it to be. That, that's fantastic. And uh, like, yeah, like the, 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 you're doing it the right way where people are betting the house. I got a text message two nights ago from a buddy. He was like, oh, it's, I'm, ba- I'm in the crypto game finally, man. After seven, seven or eight years of you telling me about it, I'm, right. I, I'm, I'm in the game. I was like, oh, good for you, man. Because he was like, yeah, I've got a small amount of money, like 10, 15 grand. I want to throw into there. And um, I was like, so what would you end up going with? And he goes, Doge. And I was like, dog. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people. I saw it the other day. It shot up and I was like, I don't, I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to be hurt by it. I think that. I think it's not a smart move. And that's just my opinion. I'm not a financial consultant, but watching it literally is a meme coin. Like I feel like it's not. It's not designed to do anything. Yeah, no. (laughs) But but I think that there's there's a powerful signal in there that the amount of distrust in the U.S. dollar and fiat currencies is so high. We've... uh, People are We're like, oh, literally this is- going into fake shit. Like <laughs> exactly. I'm literally putting money into something fake because that's how little I value the U.S. dollar at this point. Yeah, I, and I think that's a powerful signal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the future, and I, I generally don't like telling people what to do with their money. But like, um, like it, it, it's it, the, the 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 actions of the central bank in the last year have have pushed adoption. <laughs> Right. forward in many ways that we uh we were unforeseen like we're we're at a clip now that i didn't see us reaching for another until like 2024 probably yeah um, i everything is like that i feel like i feel like we're moving so fast to a position where i wasn't i wasn't prepared to be there until like my kids were grabbed like i, I was i felt like we were in a much better spot and it has escalated so quickly in so many different aspects it's just I have a really good friend who's a financial consultant for a lot of people around the country. And he calls me all the time. He's like, are you doing this? Are you doing this? We need to make sure you're doing this. And I'm like, it, it wears me out because he sees things on a whole, he's very similar to you as far as foresight is concerned. And so I, I don't know. It wears me out. Yeah. And it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like fi- financial literacy, like e- even just understanding the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund or having a nest egg, like right. you, you do those three things and you know, a dollar cost averaging is you're already ahead of 90, 95% right. of people in the world. To it's be true. <laughs> okay. So 
I did reach out to a few of our mutuals and and tell them they're the only people that know that I'm interviewing you right now. I tried <laughs> to keep it a secret. I was going to put like you do, like where all the people can like comment, but I wanted this to be more genuine, like you and me instead of all of everybody else. There's something you said in one of your videos. I saw somebody ask on Twitter the other day, have you ever admitted how many guns you actually have? And you said, no, not yet. And so I, on one of your videos, you said, I'm not a collector. I'm not into keeping them. I only keep guns I intend to shoot. So like, give me a range. Like how many guns is in the hush (laughs) armory at this point? Like just rough estimate. Uh, I won't give you an estimate, but I'll tell you, I'll, 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 I'll quantify the space. Okay. <laughs> so uh, are, do you know the Erase the State podcast? Um, yes. It's, it's, yeah. So I've, I've gone on there several times and we touched on this actually too. Uh, I, so I built my house, the house I'm currently in four and a half, five years ago. Um, well, I caused structural damage to the second floor. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Oh, I bet your wife was pissed. <laughs> no, she's she's actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she was just mad because the guns hit the floor. <laughs> yeah, it, it was mostly the ammo. It was mostly the ammo. Um, <laughs> I that that one I'm comfortable with. Like, uh, yeah. what was it? I I think I've got it, this includes 22 LR, so the small guys. But I'm over over a hundred thousand rounds. But I also shoot about a thousand rounds a month. A year ago, I was shooting two thousand a month. Um, so that's what I was going to ask you. I, obviously, with ammo shortages, I interviewed um, Justin Nazaroff with uh, Phoenix Ammunition a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, and he was talking about how hard it is to get primers. With you doing what you do, do you have a source? Do you have somebody who's supplying you so that you can continue to shoot, or? Are nah, you it's just, just a uh, regular person that's still having to like scrimp on the shelves trying to like scrape together ammunition? No, nah, it's it's, it's kind of like so I, I have over 100,000 rounds um, and I didn't get that in the last six months. Like right. uh, I, I mentioned I was late to the game getting into guns and my friends who had been in it much longer, like they were telling me nightmares of like. 2012, 2013, where they'd have to wake up at 5 a.m., go get in the bread line to buy a dime right. bag, a dime bag of 22. And so, um, what I what I what I started doing is every every two weeks, I just bought one to two thousand rounds of ammo. Um, and back when it was cheap, and so I've been pretty much unimpacted by it, uh, the cost of ammo because I've been stacking ammo for years. Um, right. Not not because like I think any like civil unrest is coming, but mostly as an insurance policy so I could keep my hobby. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, keep training. Like a couple friends and I were talking about this the other day. It's like a foreign language when you're shooting. It's literally, you have to be doing it constantly to stay yeah. on par with where you, like, it's a daily thing, even dry firing. Like you need to like constantly be working on it or you'll lose it. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's difficult, but like, being able to keep my hobby, but also being able to give it to my friends if they ever needed it. Uh, that's why I have so much. And like with same with the volume of guns that I have, like, uh, right. like I, have, I have a rule where like, if I don't shoot something, if it's been a year and I haven't shot it, I have to sell it uh, or trade it for something else. Um, right. And so like, I, I'll, I'll go through my safes and 
one right there. Uh, I'll go through my safes and I'll just be like, Oh, All right. I it's, it's, yeah, I haven't shot this yeah. in eight months. I don't want to. I don't want to sell it, so I'm going to go shoot it right now. Um, so that's how you avoid following your own rules: is you just go shoot it. <laughs> yeah, and and like, um, and I think one of my one of my good friends too. Like, uh, he 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 put it really well. He's like, being able to arm other people is about as important as being able to arm myself too. Uh, and it's also, it's also a contribution to making gun control impossible. <laughs> right. So I, I've been trying to think about how I wanted to work this into the conversation, but disarmament is a big deal. Like we're seeing things happen in Canada right now that are yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. And they probably shouldn't have given up their guns a year ago and this wouldn't be a situation, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So I I look at that and that's so close to us. And then I also, I'm a practicing Buddhist as well. So that was when I saw your mala beads in one of your videos the other day, I was like, hmm, going to have to ask him about that. Yeah. So I, with, with that being part of it, I, it's hard for me sometimes to reconcile that. And you said, oh, it's easy. It's, I don't give a shit. Like, so for me, when I think of like, in my own personal practice, like being a libertarian, which I would, I would consider myself a libertarian again, not party like you talked about, but more like concept. But then at the same time, I'm Buddhist. So like you have that altruistic, like compassionate, you want to try to like putting the two of those things together is hard sometimes because conceptually I'm thinking about being selfish as a libertarian, like, doing my own fucking thing, leave me alone. And then over here, I'm like, oh, but I really need to help all the people in the world. So it's like, mm-hmm. talk to me about how you reconcile that and how you do that. Yeah. So uh, there are two major, there are many different schools of Buddhism. There's Theravadan, which is Southeast Asia. And then you have Mahayana, which is uh, probably what you're referring to uh, with altruism and stuff like that. Um, to be honest with you, like if libertarianism had a religion, Buddhism and Taoism would probably be it. Um, like when you talk, are you, you're, I'm assuming you're familiar with Taoism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most people like who are interested in Buddhism also by proxy uh, explore Taoism too. Like the Tao, the Tao itself, like when we talk about the market and we talk about individual enterprise, like that's the same mechanism as natural right. selection. It's the same mechanism as the Tao. And uh, to answer your question, so uh, I, I'm Theravadan, so Southeast Asian uh, brand of Buddhism, which is very individualistic and very um, focused on kind of getting your own house in order before trying to help others. Uh, and, uh, my, my uncle was actually a monk in Burma. And, uh, he told me this, he told me this story, uh, <laughs> growing up. Oh, he, he left the Sangha when he was like 18 and then became a doctor. But, um, he, he told me this funny story. He's like, you want to know something funny? Um, when you whenever you're in Southeast Asia and you see all, all these temp- beautiful te- Buddhist temples, um, Countries that have the most Buddhist temples are where the most war crimes were committed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, trying to hide their shame. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and I I don't believe that defense. I think defense against tyranny and being well trained and capable of defending against tyranny as a citizen. Uh, I think that's a responsibility from a Buddhist standpoint because what causes the most harm in the world. Uh, governments and tyranny. Um, 
being able to check that as an individual, that is your way of help being altruistic. And then when you go into like the Mahayana and the Bodhisattva, the idea of these Bodhisattvas who uh, uh, prolong enlightenment to help others reach enlightenment before you. And that's kind of like the Mahayana school of altruism. Like uh, it, I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but right. it's, it's just different approaches to the same thing. Like, um, dog, you ain't going to be helping anyone if, uh, if, uh, if some, right. if, if some you national guards, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and that, that's how I reconcile it. Um, you, you look at what's happening in Myanmar or Burma now. Well, I mean, um, look what happened in Tibet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, I mean, like the Dalai Lama hasn't been able to go home in how long? Mm-hmm. It's insane. Um, I got to have lunch with him at Emory University oh, cool. one time, and I was pregnant with my daughter, and so he blessed my stomach. It was one of the coolest things on the face of the planet. It was That's having awesome. the opportunity to do that, but That's um, awesome. but to hear him when he gets on the stage and he he forgives China and is compassionate towards China, and I just sit there and I think to be able to be that kind of person, to be compassionate towards somebody who's completely ruined your entire life or in, in theory, if you're actually in that situation, you're supposed to be going through suffering and all of that shit. But Mm -hmm. my, but to have compassion for people who are trying to, to damage you or destroy you, I think that that's, it says so much for him. So I just kind of wanted to talk to you about that because it's, you're seeing that tyranny come down. You're seeing that, pressure from the government come down on the people. And it's like, how can I be compassionate towards you? I literally just want to fucking abolish you. Like I I'm, I'm like independence day reading the fucking declaration and being like this line right here that says, if I don't like what you're doing, I can abolish you. Like that, that <laughs> line is just screaming at me at this point. I mean, I mean, even the Dalai Lama said that like murder or violence in some cases is justified. Um, especially if it's in protection of others, um, and protection of yourself. And, uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't think Buddhism is at odds with the second amendment at all. I, if anything, I feel like it's a natural home for the second amendment, uh, to do the most good in the world. I will, uh, who, who does the most bad (laughs) governments. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So true. So you're not a firearms instructor, but have you thought about being one? Nah, they're they're way more qualified people than me. <laughs> they're You're way more so humble about everything. Like anytime you get paid a compliment, and that's not just with me, but with anybody. Like every single episode that I've watched you in, anybody's like, "Oh, you know, hush, you're so great." And you're like, "Ah, no, it's okay. I'm not really that good." Like you really are one of the most humble people I've ever met in my entire life, and I think that that says a lot about you. I, I appreciate that, and I, I hope my parents are listening. <laughs> no, no, like the thing is, so I, I fought for a very long time, and like it's when you fight competitively, um, you get you you get, you can either do it or you can't. Uh, you you can fought. Either, uh, name it. I've probably done it for a couple of years. Uh, really? Like, I, I started like with jujitsu. Yeah, uh, I did. I started with Muay Thai when I was. Uh, long time ago like single digits uh at buddhist summer camp uh uh high school wrestling krafagaf eskrima filipino knife fighting filipino stick fighting um what 
street boxing. Is this in a video that I missed somewhere? <laughs> nah, nah. Because it's been my last fight was 2009, maybe 2010. Um, so like I, I I don't compete anymore. Like I, I went to an open mat, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu open mat, a few months ago. Or nah, it was like over a year ago. Um, and. I, I was get, I was getting my ass thrown around by like twenty two year old guys. I was like, oh, back in my day, <laughs> <laughs> you're like Uncle Rico out there. I could have put you on the map. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, cor- corporate life is not. I remember um, I was I was uh, at my first job out of college, and uh, I was working with the Department of Justice on something, and. Uh, my nose, I'd, I'd fought the weekend before and my, I don't know if my nose was broken. It certainly felt that way, but uh, my nose just started bleeding on my shirt. I was like, oh, these, these narcs are going to think I'm a cokehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, okay, so it, 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 that's the thing. Like when, when you when you when you fight enough people and stuff, like you, you don't win every fight. Uh, <laughs> you, no. you, your, your ego gets beaten into the ground pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you have a lot of names, and Ocean Mexican <laughs> Citizen Hush. You shoot at the trap house, but a lot of people call you Trap because yeah, that of was a confusing trap. one. That was a it. Really? One. So like what? Where did Ocean Mexican come from? Like, I need to understand that story first. That's just my ethnicity. I'm I'm part Filipino. uh, So uh, the Philippines was a Spanish colony and our culture, and especially in the South where my family's from, has a lot in common with Mexico. So like uh, we are geographically in Southeast Asia, but culturally we're Mexican. And so we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So Ocean Mexican is what that Oh my God, that's really funny. Um, Okay. and uh, yeah, the 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 trap house was where I shoot, and then also like all all the followers on YouTube and Twitter and stuff, I lovingly refer to them as the trap house. But some people just started calling me trap house or trap or trap daddy. <laughs> I just think of like illegal drugs when somebody says trap house. Yeah, I'm like, wait, so. Wait. <laughs> that's actually a a good point so where that came from uh, are you familiar with the el chapo trap house yes the subreddit so yeah i I basically was just ripping that off and called Ah. it the the alamo trap house because i thought it was a cool name i was like let's make a liberty equivalent (laughs) that's kind of smart though talk to me about feral hogs like about you you hunt them pretty regularly based off of your videos and stuff so is that do you go do that for fun and so for food or do you do that because the ranchers ask you to come out and kill them? Like, how does that work? Uh, kind of, kind of all of the above. Um, so in, in, in Texas where we're at, we don't have a lot of private land. Um, Texas is Texas land is 96% private. Uh, the public land we do have is very overpressured, very low quality. And then there are also a lot of regulations. Some, a lot of them don't even allow hunting. Um, and so, uh, I, I got into hog hunting and hog eradication, just doing like little day leases here around Texas. Um, and then I started uploading footage to Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then I, I had a Texas state agency reach out to me be like, hey, uh, we've got a really bad feral hog problem. You want to come take care of it for us? So started doing that. There are a couple ranchers I've met off of YouTube um, and landowners I've met off of YouTube and Twitter who like have me come out, but that, that's kind of sporadic. Um, and usually, usually I'm out there shooting pigs uh, in the winter months because they're um, the, the, the hogs change their behavior in the, in the summer and late spring because uh, they can't sweat. 
So they, uh, that's part of why they roll in the mud and stuff. Uh, and so as the months get hotter, they don't get active till much later, like three, five o'clock in the morning. Um, and so I usually only out there shooting them in the winter. Okay. Um, so one of the videos that I watched your 2013 Honda Civic burned up when you went, I have a clarification question because I watched this video twice to try to understand. So it was a torrential downpour, Mm -hmm. but the brush was potentially what started the fire. How is the brush still wet if it was raining? Like I need you to, were you drunk at this? (laughs) No, no. I I actually, (laughs) I, I actually don't drink, uh, I but, figured you probably didn't, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the the sheriff's department and the fire department came out the next morning, and they were like, "We don't know what caused it. You could have broke loose some wiring in your car when you hit the cow initially, and then when I was revving to try and get it out, it could have caught something on fire there." But they were like, "Alternatively, like it, it had only been raining for a few minutes when I had left, so like you could have theoretically, if brush was on the engine while I was revving." Could have theoretically dried it out and ignited it. That's probably less likely. Uh, But they did say that they do have that problem all the time. Um, So So it's kind of an unsolved mystery. (laughs) I want to know about the rancher that you killed his cow. You said you paid for the cow. Did you get the meat at least? Like, did you get to keep it? No, it was one of those situations where I was like, I've got. Here's all my money because I just blew my car up and killed your cow. Well, I also had an angry fiance who drove driven there at four o'clock in the morning, couldn't get into the ranch and came uh, back the next morning and she couldn't find me, but she could find my the burnt down car. Oh, and no. she, the last the last thing she heard from me was, hey, I hit a cow. Um, I'm, I'm going to crash here tonight. And then my phone died. Um and so she had, she hadn't heard from me. She didn't know anything about the car. Oh my anymore. god, you were in so much trouble. Yeah, so I had a ranch owner that was mad at me for hitting a cow. The cow wasn't dead, but they do did have to put it down because the vet bill would have been more right. expensive than the cow itself. Uh, and so I had a rancher that was upset with me. I had a fiance that was upset with me. I was upset with me. I had a burnt down Honda Civic, and then so I saw the rancher, and I was like, "How much does the cow cost? I can I can make this problem go away right now." <laughs> oh okay i have just a couple more questions for you i want to know where did this norlax onesie come from like how did that start playing a role because i couldn't i found the first video where you featured it in a clip but not where like you're wearing it in the video like you're sitting in your garage i'm like what the I thought he was in the outfit. Like I, I need to understand the story behind the onesie. Yeah. So uh, I, I mentioned that I had a bunch of people telling me to start a YouTube channel on Twitter for a while, like going back to like 2018, 2017. Um, and so one rule for myself has always been like, try not to, take yourself too seriously on the internet like you're 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 not as cool as uh some of these people think you are <laughs> you are very cool but my mom doesn't know about you yet so not that cool yet so keep it's going a, when I, and I, that was the main reason i didn't want to start a youtube channel i was like that's just the that's just a path to like having a stupid ego and all this other right. stuff and so the snorlax onesie was my way of checking my ego and <laughs> um being like hey you might be able to do some kind of neat things with guns but you also right. look like an idiot <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really funny because in the picture, like where you've got your arms out or whatever, and you're walking, you remind me of Bane. 
And I like every time I see it, it's like Bane from Batman in a Snorlax costume. That's what it looks like to me. I'm like, what the fuck, man? This is such a mind trip. Like, as you look, like your positioning and your body language is so badass, but then you're in the Snorlax costume. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just it's it's just the control mechanism to uh, make sure my head doesn't get too big, and um, also laugh reminder to laugh at myself and. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it was just also a way to just kind of, that, that, that's kind of like my entire internet personality, like just being a nice dude that likes gun, really, 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 really likes guns and, yeah. uh, also makes jokes and shit. So, uh, Snorlax onesie it was, I was going to go for a Pikachu one, but Snorlax was the only one they had. So I just ordered that off Amazon. <laughs> Do you have like a Snorlax Funko Pop or anything like that anywhere? No, like, no. I, I do have a 3D printed. Actually, let me go grab it here. <laughs> so, one of the first things that I printed with my 3D printer was a 3D printed Snorlax. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You need to paint him. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably should have just printed him in a different color other than black because I don't think paint's going to show through this too. Well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should he, paint him. He's he, he's heavy. I I printed him. Is at it like heavy? A, yeah, because I pr- I was figuring my printer out, so I did a hundred percent infill. This thing took three days to print. Um, so hundred percent infill means like how uh like how dense uh the material is getting laid down on there. Um, it helps with like structural support, makes it more durable. It also makes it look a little bit more clean. Um. And so I have inadvertently uh, set the infill settings to 100%. And by proxy, it takes a long time to print. And uh, so this is a very dense, like if someone were to throw this at you, this would hurt, hurt. a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there's one thing that you didn't answer earlier, and I want to go back to it because you just made me think of it. <clears throat> if I want to get into 3D printing oh, weapons, yeah. tell me what I need to buy. Like, tell me like first three things I need to buy and first two websites I need to go to. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so p- kind of the gold standard for three printed firearms is the Ender, th- the, it's by Creality, uh, Creality, uh, the Ender 3 V2. It's about $280 on Amazon. That's yeah, the it's printer. sitting in my cart in Amazon there you right go. now. There you go. So I, that's a great <laughs> option. That is a great option. Uh, the next thing you'll need to buy is buy a couple kilos of eSun PLA Plus. That's kind of also the standard uh, filament that gets used um once you have that head over to uh control p's website and read the guide uh that's documentation on how to get your printer set up how to get your first print calibrated uh and then start churning out weapons um and is there a certain like environment that you need to try to print in like a certain like temperature controlled environment especially if you're doing a long print like is there anything that you've identified over time as you've made more builds that that you felt like, oh shit, if this might be better. I mean, I'm still figuring it out. So uh, I I've got it in my guest room, just running on a desk right now. Um, and I, I, I the, the filament dries pretty quickly, uh, so I don't think ambient temperature. It probably isn't a good idea to here in Texas. It probably wouldn't be a great idea uh, to leave my filament and my printer in the garage uh, because right, I think, I think PLA, yeah. Oh, well, that. Uh, well, PLA plus should be able to handle the temperature. It's more the humidity and moisture impacting right. the filament itself. 
Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've picked up. Um, th- those are all good starting places. That that Ender Three is kind of the standard. Uh, Control P's guide um, is uh, probably the best getting started resource available. Um, assembling the Ender Three is a pain in the ass. Uh, go ahead and throw the instructions out because they're worthless, and just YouTube how to assemble the Corelty Ender Three V Two. And there's like a forty five. Wh- whenever you end up getting your printer, let me know, and I'll send you the YouTube video to. I forget who okay. did it, but it's a step by step assembly process that's super helpful. Um, and yeah, you know, just do a couple. Down, I wouldn't jump straight into guns. You totally. Oh could. no! You, you no. totally could. You totally could. But uh, it, the thing is, is like I'm very big on like getting incremental wins to like build confidence and by proxy sure. build patience because that's the big thing, patience. Um, and do go to Thingiverse. It's kind of like a GitHub for uh, 3D printed files, and just like that's where I got this little Snorlax guy. Uh, just download a couple stupid little trinkets and it has start- to be kind of exciting though, like it something is. that's so like identifiable with you, and it's like your first <laughs> thing. Like that's to have found that even is kind of exciting. So yeah, it's a cool website called Thingiverse where like people just upload their files and they give feedback, uh, and you can download download things for free just to get started with like i i think i did three little tiny prints like this before i did my first gun like again largely just to build my comfort with um, well i love i'm a crafter like don't tell anybody that'll be our secret that's awesome um but like cricket and stuff so like i make shirts and cups and stupid shit like that but the idea of 3d printing is really appealing to me because it's like crafting guns like you're literally like a little minecrafter in your basement you're just you got your crafting table <laughs> oh yeah then uh, you're you're oh. you're you're totally set up then you're you 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 will be this will be right at home for you okay so i have i have more questions and i just remembered them Favorite all-time favorite video game because I saw a couple of your videos like where you streamed. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Are you ready for my guess? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing Half Life because Damn. a lot of your videos you've got Black Mesa research on like your screensaver and stuff, and you've worn like some Black Mesa shirts. So okay, so I got that one right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got Black Mesa and a bunch of my guns. Um. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah. tell me why that's your favorite game. Uh, I don't know. I I think I that I so I don't really play too many video games these days. Um, I so I think around the PlayStation Two was kind of my the point where I fell off. And then it wasn't until probably just before I went to grad school that I got back into video games and you won't believe the game that got me back in. It was actually the remake of Tomb Raider. (laughs) It was actually a really good game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was really good. That, that like I was playing that game and like, this was before all the woke stuff started. And like, I, I remember thinking in 2013, I was like, if you wanted to create a video game, that was feminist in nature this is how you do it you don't yeah. shove you don't shove like the the tropes of like oh fight like a girl like right. no, you just make or a take, bad take our boobs off because women don't have boobs anymore like I, what yeah you, you you just make a badass character who just yeah. happens to be female like yeah like and like i i fucking love the tomb raider the new tomb raider games i and, even like the old tomb raider games oh, like really? i yeah i've actually bef- before um 
before I came out of the closet as a gun owner on Twitter, um, that's what my account was. It was, um, oh. it was like a retro gaming pixel art street art, uh, type, ga- uh, Twitter account. And then I came out as a gun owner and I lost like 8,000 followers in 24 really? hours. Yeah. Holy cow. Well, the gaming industry is so vast as far as the people who participate in it mm-hmm. and then so segmented as far as what their ideologies are. So it's, yeah. it, it games unify, but once you start talking about other stuff, it starts to segregate pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. My, my Twitter account, like it started as just an engineering project of just how can I quantify and automate my account? to build a following because I used to churn accounts. Like I would automate Instagram accounts in the early days of Instagram and then I'd sell them. Um, Really? Yeah. And that's how my Twitter account started. Uh, It was just a bot account. I had, I still have several bot accounts that are, are, they're not active because Twitter has gotten way more strict with uh, automation now. So I don't really play around with it anymore, but yeah, like if you go to my, like I, I don't try and hide it from anyone. Like if you go to my Twitter account, you'll see, I follow, I think, like 68,000 people. I liked like 325,000 tweets. And like, if for me, like I started my Twitter account. I just thought you were really busy on Twitter. Like, well, this I, I man just... has no life. But then I like <laughs> see you talk and I see you like doing all the other things. And I'm like, wait a minute. His his whole like real per- persona would say he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on social media. So. Nope. Yeah, so I I just automated a lot. So I remember I used to uh, I had a I had a bot that would basically just go to Reddit, scrape the top memes of the day, and then post them throughout the day on my Twitter account and on my Instagram account, and um, with like certain hashtags. And then I would I would go and basically anyone tweeting anything or posting anything on Instagram with any keywords in their tweet or caption, things like retro gaming. It used to be like Second Amendment, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and my my bots would go ahead and auto-like and auto-follow the person. And the conversion rate is what I was interested in. So how long does it take to build a meaningful following by running bots like this? And right. so the, con- the conversion rate on Twitter for following is about 10.5%. So for every 100 people you follow, you can expect about 10 and a half followers back. Uh, auto-liking, it was something like uh, 4.5%. So smaller, but easier to do. Um, and then on Instagram, it, it used to be Same. like 12 to 15% uh, conversion. Uh, and so I, I focused a lot of my time to Instagram in the early days of the meme accounts. And I would like once an account got to like 20,000 followers, I would just sell it for like 500 bucks when I was in grad school. Wow. That's in- this is insane. It blows my mind because you see... You know that that stuff goes on, but I think like you don't really understand it or see it until you hear somebody talk about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, fuck these blue check marks. You know they don't have that many people <laughs> oh, that like them. They're all using it. <laughs> they're all using that shit. Uh, it, it's funny, too, because like when 2016 rolled around and like Twitter bot farms became a hot topic. I remember I, okay. like it was that Homer Simpson meme where he disappears into the yeah, brush. Into the bushes. That, that, was, that was 100% <laughs> me. I was like. I have I had like I think it was like 18 different bot accounts that were just auto liking and auto retweeting my main account uh 
so that it would help me in visibility on the Twitter algorithm. Um, and so like, and then I would have like, uh, I would have like three to five that would auto comment, like some variation or permutation of like 10 different sentences on any of my tweets that were vague enough to always be relevant, but specific enough right. to not draw attention that it's an automated account. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like I, I, it, it all started as just an engineering experiment. It was interesting to me. Um, uh, I don't think I have anything for anybody else to know. I've asked all the good questions. Oh, so okay. I want to tell you, thank you so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate you. Um, no. I'm going to go ahead and stop recording now and ask all the questions that nobody else gets to know. So <laughs> no, it's, this, this is really fun. No, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Okay. Bye everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death!